0: Hey guys, uh, the other thing I wanted to say was sometimes in worship, no, if we don't start worshipping in tongues um, don't think worship is not complete if that thought ever crosses your mind don't think so uh, because uh, while worshipping in tongues is a wonderful thing um, let's never get hung up on it because today when we finished before we started singing Amazing Grace I I knew that it was not necessary to start worshipping in tongues and while it's wonderful to speak and sing in it, uh, let's never uh, compartmentalize worship that if this is not there, then it's not complete. So just remember that. And sometimes it can be a new song here, another song you don't know. Don't get hung up on it. Don't get hung up on it. Just thought I'd say that. Um, unprecedented living. Today we're going to look at Elijah. We're going to look, look at Elijah and. Uh, this may be a two- or three-part series. I know we were talking about wealth before we left, and we still have to cover wealth um, transfer and wealth creation, the t- second and third part. To receiving. receiving to, yeah. Can I, can I ask you another question first? The Bible says in Numbers 23, 24, or 25, when Balaam was cursing Israel... Uh, the, uh, God says in, in the prophetic word that God literally puts into Balaam's mouth, Balaam has to declare that the shout of the king is in the camp, meaning how can you come against Israel and their tents when the shout of the king of the kings is in the camp, meaning the roar of the lion is in the camp, meaning he has arrived. Now when he is in the camp and he speaks, what is mortal man going to go and do? So it's out of that that the whole theme of the shout of the Lord is amongst us comes up yep Uh, so we finished with wealth distribution and now we'll be dealing uh, at another time with wealth creation and wealth uh, transfer Um, we'll deal with that another time so today we're going to talk about Elijah unprecedented living we're going to talk about Elijah Elijah Here's the definition I want from you. Um, What did we say apostolic people are? Pardon? Okay. A people set apart to be sent so that they can show forth accurately and represent Christ accurately. So here's my question. Why? What's a reason to be sent to accurately represent Christ? What's the reason? Why do we have... I mean, what's the purpose behind being sent so that we can accurately, accurately represent Christ? It is to glorify Jesus, but uh, why do we need to glorify Jesus? Yeah. If you look at the Acts 29 statement, it says, live out of the life of Jesus so that others can see what he looks like and choose to respond. The reason we are sent so that we can accurately represent Christ, is so that others see what Christ looks like and now can choose to respond to him. Please remember that. The reason we are sent is so that, the reason I may send uh, Lynn out to represent Acts 29 is so that others can look at Lynn and say, hmm, so this is what Acts 29 looks like. And then they can choose to either come to Acts 29 or not come to Acts 29. But if she's an accurate representation, our job is done. And that's the reason we are called to be an apostolic people. So that others may see what Christ looked like. You know, when we put up this um, uh, statement, we had no idea what we were stepping into. This happened about three and a half years ago across the border in a little room where Bernice Wayne and I had gone for a seminar, and I was getting so bored that I thought, let's come up with a vision statement for Acts 29. Uh, I mean, they they were doing a good job, but maybe I was just being arrogant. But God forgave my arrogance and gave us this vision statement. And it basically says, live out the life of Jesus so that others can see what he looks like and choose to respond. That's the whole idea of being sent to represent accurately so that others can choose to respond. Uh, What are they responding to? Uh, What else? Uh, What is one word you would use for everything that he is? Love, character, everything. Agreed, but all of it is encompassed in one word which we've talked about. Glory. Glory. See, the whole idea of being sent to accurately represent Christ is so that people can choose to respond to his... Glory. What is his glory? His glory is his reputation, it's his character, it's his nature, it's his goodness, it is his magnificence, it is his weight, it is his splendor, it is his influence. Everything is packed into that one word called glory. glory or kabod. And who is the hope of glory? Christ. So it goes back to what she's saying, Christ. But the whole idea is so that they see the glory of who God is. Jesus came to show us the yeah. Exactly. Jesus was sent so that he may be an accurate representation of the Father's glory. And in Jesus, when we behold the glory of the Father, we have a choice now to be attracted to it, which would be the most natural outcome, or reject it. That choice is always left to us. When we are attracted to it and we respond to it, we are born again. If we reject it, we are completely separated from his glory for the rest of our lives. But the whole intent was so that... People may behold the glory of God. Now think of this. We've talked about this. I'm just going back a few weeks. Who are the glory carriers now? Us, man. Before they had the ark, now we are the glory carriers. It is so vital that we go over these principles again and again so that as you walk around in malls, as you walk around Vancouver, you realize that you're a glory carrier, that people will behold the glory of the Father, the glory of Christ in you. And that you always have to accurately represent Christ in the things you do, in the things we watch, in the things we say, in the way we act to represent Him. And He'd only be so willing to help you with it. Questions, comments? Do we know? Do we? I'm just going back because we need to establish this before we go forward. When we accurately represent Christ, we prepare the way for others to respond to Christ. When we accurately represent Christ, we prepare the way for others to to respond to Christ. Like, for instance, when I went to Bahrain, uh, I was accurately representing Christ in terms of how he wants things done. And the people, and the four or five there, had a choice to respond. But basically what I was doing was I was plowing up their lives and plowing up that group To understand that this is the way Christ is. This is the way the bride looks. This is what he wants. Now you have a choice to respond or you have a choice to stay away. But we prepare the way. Every time you represent Christ accurately, you're preparing the way. Yesterday someone called me and um, um, the person had uh, stones in the person's kidney. And had to be rushed to the hospital early morning. And the person called me and uh, they were coming back from the hospital. Or they were going to the hospital for a scan. Uh, they had been released from the hospital. They were going for a scan. And the person called me and um, I asked my usual question when you have kidney stones. Do you want the Lord to turn them into diamonds or do you want them to dissolve and come out? And the guy said he would rather that they dissolve and come out rather than turn them into diamonds. I'm just kidding, okay? <laughs> so, so we pray that they disintegrate, dissolve and come out. The guy goes for the scan and uh, comes back. And the scan shows that everything dissolved and disappeared. And I'm thinking to myself, Father, that's so ridiculous. It was just a few words spoken over the phone. But, but when we accurately represent who Christ is, this person who is at the fringe of Christianity or is born again, but is um, not participating fully in the community of God, um, immediately said, you know, this is only Jesus, this is only God. We are called to do, to do this folks. healing is just one aspect of the representation of who Christ is. Just one aspect. just one aspect we can't make we can't make it the most important thing. it's just one aspect but represent him accurately. John the Baptist and Eli- um, let's go there since we're talking about Elijah. When we accurately represent Christ, we prepare the way for others to respond to Christ. This is why John was sent. Um, remember, whenever we talk about Elijah, it's impossible not to talk about John, because John was a type of Elijah. If you want to check on that, let's go to Matthew chapter 17. Matthew chapter 17, verses 11 to 13. Matthew 17, 11 to 13. Matthew 17, 11 to 13. and here's what it says well, let's start at verse 10 matthew 17:10 matthew 17:10 the disciples asked him matthew 17:10 the disciples asked him why then do the teachers of the law say that elijah must come first jesus replied to be sure elijah comes and will restore all things but i tell you elijah has already come and they did not recognize him but i've done to him everything they wished in the same way the Son of Man is going to suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he was talking to them about John the Baptist. John was a type of Elijah, folks. And if you notice, when we study the life of Elijah, we'll have to keep switching between John and Elijah to understand uh, what it is to become an Elijah company or an Elijah people. And um, just follow these thoughts through, because I guarantee you either towards the end of today or next week we'll get, the total hang of it folks why did Elijah come Elijah was sent again to prepare the way of the Lord very clearly it says Elijah uh, John was sent to prepare the way of the Lord what what was he doing he was going out and telling people hey you guys have been living this way but here's the accurate way to live and as much as I'm telling you how to live there is one who is coming who will help you live that he was preparing the way of the Lord John is always sent to prepare the way of the Lord. Why is that important to us? Because John is a type of Elijah and Elijah did the same thing on Mount Carmel. There was, a, there was a nation going astray and Elijah stands on Mount Carmel and says this is who God is. Now today choose whether you want to follow God or follow Baal. And he brings a whole nation back to what God wants to do. Folks, like it or not, when When Christ wants to manifest himself, either when he comes again or through us, the church. The first thing he wants to do before he manifests and comes is to raise up a people who will be Elijah-like. He always does this. Before uh, he had to start a new people, he sends Noah to declare who he is. Before he brings them out of Egypt, he sends a Moses. Before he leads them into the promised land, he sends a Joshua. Before the 70 weeks of exile ends, he sends a Daniel. Every time he wanted to lead them out of a deliverance, uh, uh, out in in deliverance from the hands of the Philistines, he would send a judge, either by the name of Samson or Gideon or Jephthah, he would send someone. God always, before He makes a move on the earth, raises up a people who are Elijah-like in their, in their approach to things, which we'll talk about. This, this is something He always does, and why are we talking about Elijah now? Because I'm saying to you that this, the, the, some of the qualities in Elijah, we as a people have to develop. If we are who we say we are in terms of being apostolic, in terms of speaking out of Zion, in terms of growing up into the body that we are supposed to be, in terms of um, all that we've been talking about, unprecedented living, we have to rise up like Elijah because when we begin to walk in the spirit of Elijah, then you'll find that more and more Christ finds it very easy to manifest himself to people that we associate with. Questions? Elijah was an ordinary man just like you. But, that gives me so much confidence because I can be better than him because I have Christ in me. But we'll come to that later. Um, uh, Please, is it as clear as mud or clearer than that? Hong Hong Kong? Okay, wow. It took me longer to figure this out. Pardon? You're talking about John. Yeah. If John is the type of Elijah, then Eli- John was ordinary too. Because Elijah was a man with the same uh, faults that you and I have. John, for instance, he baptizes Jesus and then sends him a letter from prison saying, are you the real deal? How off could a man be? He had the Holy Spirit come upon him in Elizabeth's womb. The baby leaped with joy when Mary walked in. He lived the life of a Nazarite and was in the desert and was one of... Jesus said, never before has there been a man like John. And yet, after he baptizes Jesus and says all this, he says, are you sure you're the Messiah? And knowing that he was hesitating and baptizing him too... Uh, Well, I would say he just obeyed what God was telling him to do when he baptized Jesus. But when he didn't see Jesus turn out to be all that he's supposed to be as the king of Israel, he sent a letter saying, maybe you're not. How can you? uh, I agree. I I agree, James. But can you see the um, dichotomy there that when I baptized him, he was a messiah. But now I'm not too sure if you're the messiah. (laughs) So he was very ordinary. and, And that's a beautiful thing because I think... I'm so encouraged by the fact that Elijah was just like me. Yeah, Jesus wasn't the mm, Messiah that, the, that Israel expected. So that was John's problem. So um, a type of Elijah, so a type of Elijah, and John is a type of Elijah, so we'll keep switching between them. A type of Elijah... Is always sent before God manifests himself um, either in a season or in a movement or in actual appearance okay a type of elijah is always sent before god manifests himself either in a season or in a movement, or before he makes an appearance. Like before Jesus came, John, who was the type of Elijah, was sent. And I'm saying to you that regardless of whether Jesus wants to manifest himself through the church or whether we are waiting for um, uh, an actual appearance of Jesus Christ in the future, um, he will always raise an Elijah-like people. Because it is only when an Elijah-like people are raised that... Uh, the hearts of nations can be prepared to respond to him. Because one of the amazing things Elijah does is he readies, I love this, he readies a people for the coming of the Lord or for a season. That's one of the things Elijah does. Elijah readies a people for the coming of the Lord or he readies a people for a season that God is bringing on earth. This is what Elijah does. The other thing Elijah does is he reconnects people to The original plan or mandate or uh, intents of God. These are two things that Elijah does. This is why God needs an Elijah like people here on earth folks. Go ahead. No, I'm saying that when I talk about Elijah, I'm talking about an, a type of people who walk or do things in the spirit of Elijah. And we'll talk about what the spirit of Elijah is. So when I say that God raises up an Elijah before he does this, today he doesn't raise up necessarily. Actually, God is very not interested in raising up individuals. He wants, us to, he wants to raise up a body. Because even an individual has a significance only if he's a part of something. So God wants to raise up a people. He's always, in the New Testament, God is only interested in a people. Out of that people, there'll be different functions given, and their significance comes from being part of a people. But God wants to raise a people, and He wants to raise a people who will walk in the spirit of Elijah. Because when they begin to walk in the spirit of Elijah, two things will happen. One, they will be able to ready the nations, ready the cities, ready the people around them to now come into a position where they can actually respond to what God wants to bring forth, either in a season or in a movement or in his actual appearance. The second thing that happens when he raises up an Elijah, uh, people who walk in the spirit of Elijah, is these people who he has raised suddenly get a hang of what God's actual intent and plan is and they draw others to be connected back to that plan. For instance, Malachi says that the last two verses of Malachi says, and Elijah will come and he'll turn his fathers to the children and the children to the fathers. 400 years of silence, and then along comes John the Baptist. And you know what John the Baptist does? He immediately connects the nation which has lost its moorings back to that prophecy in Malachi. But in Luke 1, 16 and 17, it says, and John is going to come and he's going to connect the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wise. That's what we are called to do. Why do you think we are learning about Zion? Why do you think we are learning about Christ's life? Why do you think we are learning about um, unprecedented living and the principles of glory in the ark? You think it's for personal fattening? Partly. But this is so that we can now go and reconnect other churches, other people back to God's original mandate. Zion was established in the Old Testament. One of the things Eddie said to me when I last called him is, Jacob, you got to start going and uh, uh, letting other pastors know what you know in this house now. And part of me tremored, part of me got excited. Because some will reject, some will find it heretical, some will be confrontation, and some will embrace it and go further than we have gone. The reason we are learning these old truths, if you want to call them old, is because now we have begun to live it and now God wants us to connect others back to the original plan. Every church on the face of the earth was meant to be apostolic, folks. Every church on the face of the earth was supposed to be speaking from the position of Zion. Every church on the face of the earth was to understand the principles of glory. Every church on the face of the earth was to understand father-son principles, set-man principles, was to understand what it is to live by the preceding word, was to understand Christ's life, which is the tablets that are kept in the ark. Every church was supposed to live like this. By the grace, the sheer grace of God, He's given us an insight into it. By bringing to us scribes and master builders from outside, so that we may learn it and run with it. It was not our doing. It was definitely not my doing. Someone wrote to me today and said, Jacob, how is it that you find these amazing truths from the word? How do you do it? And I wrote back saying, I had people come into my life and teach me these things patiently. Laboring they taught me patiently. And therefore now I can teach you these and you can teach others these. Sheer grace, man. But God is raising, one of the things he wants us to become is an Elijah kind of people who walk in the spirit of Elijah, reconnecting others to the original mandate. And secondly, readying them so that when he makes his appearance, when he manifests himself to the church, they'll not stay away or they'll not be lukewarm, but they'll plunge fully in. And as we go into this teaching wheel, Uh, Look at nuggets in Elijah's life that we can embrace as individuals and as a group. Remember, when we embrace it as a group, individuals are affected. When we embrace it as individuals, the group is not necessarily affected. It's all the way things work. Hey, Matt, I can't see you if you don't sit up. Um, I can't see you if you don't sit up. That's a nice way of saying please sit up. Go ahead. Zion is a fortress. That's the whole idea of Zion. We have already come to Zion, the city of the living God. What God was saying is, hey, Jacob, Zion used to be a fortress on a hill where David set up the tabernacle. I used to live in a temple then. They set up a temple for me. They put me, there was a box which represented me. But I want you to know that no longer am I in a fortress or a temple. I have, you have become the fortress, the temple that I live in, I have come to you so you have become Zion and if I have come to you and I rule through you, then you need to now speak like I live and rule through you usually rulers don't lay around in hammocks as far as I know (laughs) usually rulers declare, dictate Uh, send out decrees govern use the wisdom that they have as rulers to administer to uh, channel resources to allocate to come against hostilities to make decrees that will be law in the land and God is saying speak out of Zion Jacob this is where you are right now I have already come to you so you have come to Zion because Zion is my place of dwelling I'm no longer in a temple so when, uh, wh- when a decree is made as in um, let the stones in the kidney dissolve, disintegrate and completely come out, that is the Zion position of speaking. When a decree is made saying um, I've come to deconstruct this house and if it does not uh, want to grow the right way, I do not want to have anything to do with it, that's governing. When we stood below- before these amazing gates of Bhutan, and stood there and opened Psalm 24 and said open wide ye gates the king of glory shall come in right now and this nation shall not be different that is a decree I don't necessarily need to see the harvest of some of the decrees I make you only need to see the harvest always if you are unsure of your position in Zion folks once a king declares his decree he doesn't go driving or biking to see if it is being carried out Because he knows that if he said it, it will come to pass. He doesn't go bicycling around saying, hmm, you guys haven't put it into practice. No, he knows it's done. And that comes when we know our authority and our jurisdiction and know it has to be done. That's how it works. It's a magnificent way of living, folks. And we need to embrace it. We'll come to that in the end. No, I I would first ask the Father, Father, do you want me to pray for the person's healing? And if you do, how do you want me to pray? Because every decree I make has to come from the sovereign ruler of the heavens and the earth. And accordingly only they become law. Because anything I say from my own is really no use. And Jesus operated by the same principle. I only do what I see my Father doing. Everything else is presumption. presumption. So um, God wants to raise up a people who will be this way. And that's why... In Jeremiah 18, 5 and 6, 16, it says, go and seek out the ancient paths. Go and seek out the ancient paths and walk in it. Some of the ancient paths are the paths of Zion. It stayed hidden, man. I know it's beginning to take the earth by storm, but I'm saying to you that usually if you go to a church, I went to a church and spoke on Zion, and they basically didn't think much of it. They, I actually heard when I went back, they weren't too sure of the teaching and they were talking among themselves especially the elders because some of these truths are ancient and if you don't search them and begin to live them they stay hidden Jeremiah 6.16 and Jeremiah 18.15 and the beautiful thing is you can be Elijah at Brook Cherith you can be Elijah at the Jordan. You can be Elijah at the River Fraser. You can be Elijah when Ahab is king. You can be Elijah when Herod is king. Or you can be Elijah when Harper is prime minister. Doesn't matter. God wants to raise up a people who will walk in the spirit of Elijah. And we'll talk about what walking in the spirit of Elijah is. What was the uh, Jeremiah's eighteen fifteen and six sixteen. I mean, if you go to... Um, first Kings 1837 hey did someone turn the air conditioning off was it by request okay no I'm good uh, I'm just sweating that's all but that's first Kings 18 um, first Kings 1837. See, like I said, Elijah brings back, readies people and connects them to the actual intent of God. In um, verse 36, First Kings 18, 36, it says, At the time of the sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, so these people will know that you, O Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again go to Luke chapter 3 Luke 3 verses uh, 10 Luke 310 Luke 310 here's John who is a type of Elijah now he's reconnecting people back Luke 3 chapter uh, Luke chapter 3 verse 10 onwards What should we do, then the crowd asked. John answered, the man with two tunics should share with him who has none, and the one who has food should do the same. Tax collectors also came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you're required to, he told them. Then some soldiers asked him, what should we do? He replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. The people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Christ. John answered uh, them all, I baptize you with water, but one more powerful than I will come, the thongs of whose sandals are not worthy to untie. He'll baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but he'll burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And with many other words, John exhorted the people and preached the good news to them. Again, he was reconnecting them to how they should be from Malachi and he's also telling them, the guys, one who is greater than me is coming, preparing the hearts to respond to the one who is coming, the anointed one. And this is why God needs to raise up a people who walk in the spirit of Elijah. See, like, so, some truths, know, are so simple that you wonder why you didn't catch it earlier. One of the truths we talked about earlier is there is no greater tool of evangelism than to display the glory of God. Once someone sees the glory of God operating through you, when they see the reputation, character, nature, splendor, magnificence, and the power of God operating through you, there is nothing else necessary. You don't even need to have a crusade. They'll just see you, and they'll know that here stands a man who carries the glory of God. There's no greater tool of evangelism. Another thing that we have to come into grips with is that every time God wants to manifest himself, either in a movement or in actual appearance, he will always look to raise up an Elijah people. Because that is the way... He begins to plow up the land of people's lives so that when he moves in or when he makes an appearance, people will already be set up to respond or choose to reject. I'm not talking about the end times here, but I'm saying we are a people who need to walk in the spirit of Elijah. We'll talk about what that is. Um, How do we operate in the spirit of Elijah? Going to the next bit. When I say operate in the spirit of Elijah, what do I mean? Can someone explain what it is to walk in the spirit of someone? Let's say I said, we need to walk in the spirit of Marcus. What does that mean? (laughs) Okay, so how else would you put it? If someone said, oh, we need to walk in the spirit of Marcus, what does that mean? Continue his mission do what he would do you're right go ahead to be like him, be like him. In, the, um, the, in the 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 sense carried in the bible is when when someone says walk in the spirit of elijah it means in spirit of elijah it means walk in the strength and the style of whoever we are talking about to walk in the strength and the style of so all that you said is encompassed in this walk in the strength of. The spirit of Elijah means there's a there's a strength that, that is peculiar to him. And there's a style of doing things that's peculiar to him. And God is saying, guys, I want you to operate in the strength and the style of Elijah. Or I want you to walk operate in that spirit. Which is why at one point Jesus turned to some of his disciples who wanted to bring down fire. And he says to them, your spirit is different from mine. Meaning, the strength that you want to exhibit and the style that you want to uh, f- employee right now calling down fire to burn up these guys, that's not who I am. That's not my style and strength. Yeah. That was not his character. <laughs> so we are called to walk in the strength and the style of Elijah. That's what we mean when we say operating in the spirit of Elijah. Yeah. Yep. Remember that any hero in the Bible or any man at present that you may look at and say, okay, here is someone whose life uh, I want to not imitate, but I want to draw from. Please understand that in, be it Elijah or John or Sue or Tino or Wayne, anything that is good in them is actually a deposit of the grace and the substance of God in them. Remember, anointing for that matter. When we use the word anointing, who is the anointed one? Christ. So what is the anointing? The anointing is a deposit of the anointed one in a person that allows him to exhibit that character of Christ. So when it comes to Elijah, what we are saying here, when God says, in the spirit of Elijah, and he uses that in the Bible, um, uh, to walk in the spirit of Elijah is to walk in that deposit or substance of Christ that is exemplified by Elijah's life but it will always take the form of a person God is not abstract when God says I want you to and this is in the scriptures in James it says uh, be patient like Job why did he say be patient like Job because Job had many faults shouldn't we Uh, To uh, rephrase uh, Diana's question, shouldn't we follow Jesus? Yes, but Jesus says, Jacob, I want you to look at Job. Because one of the qualities of mind that was uh, deposited into him and that came out well in his life was patience. And if you want, just look at that. I know you can look at my life, but here is the story of Job which is all about patience. Jesus was full of faith, but in Hebrews 11 we say, look at the heroes of faith. Because their life stories modeled faith. And therefore, in this situation, God is saying, I want a people that I can raise up in the spirit of Elijah because I want to manifest myself and my coming is soon. Now, there are divided opinions upon his second coming. We'll deal with that when we get there. Partly because I'm still not sure how to interpret some of the teachings that I've heard from people. Elijah, so let's look at how we operate in the spirit or the strength and the style of Elijah. To understand how to operate in the strength and the style of Marcus, I'll have to study Marcus. If I want to operate in the strength and the style of this man, I need to know what he was about. In the same way, we need to know what Elijah was about. One of the things Elijah was was uh, he was a very ordinary man, like you and I. James 5 verse 17. James 5 verse 17. Very ordinary man. I've never felt so um, good about this verse as I have in the last few days. James 5, verse 17. I'm going to put my name in. James 5, verse 17. Elijah was a man just like you, Jacob. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain in the land for three and a half years again he prayed and the heavens gave rain and the earth produced its crops Elijah was a man just like you Jacob meaning he had the same frailties. some some Bible say he had the same weaknesses he had the same frailties as you Jacob very honorary man so here is God saying I want you to I want to raise up an Elijah like people and the first qualification is he was ordinary Do you understand why this is such an awesome possibility? Elijah was a flawed man like us. No pedigree. Ordinary like you. And it gives me tremendous encouragement because I I can at least be like him or be more. Because at the end of the day, he didn't have a, a regenerated spirit. He didn't have a brand new spirit. He didn't have indwelling Christ in him. But I have that too. Elijah was a disadvantage. Elijah was at a disadvantage compared to me. Secondly, um, let's switch to John, who was a type of Elijah. John was ordinary. John was ordinary. Marcus, what's the rest of your name Marcus okay, so switching between Elijah and John is like calling him Marcus and then calling him Gabriel because his middle name is Gabriel so that so I'll keep switching between <laughs> Elijah and John. So let's look at John now. John was ordinary but different. It's one thing to be ordinary folks but we need to be different. If you remember John came from a Levite line. Zechariah his dad was a priest yet John did not eat like the Levites, he did not drink like the Levites and he did not live where the Levites lived. He did not eat certain foods, he did not drink wine and he lived in the desert. So it's one thing to be ordinary but folks If you want to be raised up in the spirit of Elijah, which I say to you is a vital thing for this church, please understand, I'm not making these statements so that the message sounds more powerful. I'm telling you that what what we are hearing right now is what God wants to do with this house. So please hear, open your ears, uh, like Jesus says, let him who has ears hear. Because these are not words that I'm putting in a sermon so that it comes out right. I couldn't care less really. This is what God wants for us in this house. And this is the time to say it too. It's not premature. So, ordinary but different. Ordinary but different. No, Not like the other Levites not eating and drinking like the other Levites not inhabiting the same places like the other Levites he used to live in the wilderness you have to be distinctive folks you have to be distinctive you have to be distinctive oddly enough he didn't go to the town square for an audience but to the wilderness he drew people out instead of being drawn by people I just love that about John I mean, if a guy wants an audience, he should go right into Jerusalem because that's where all the famous prophets used to go. I mean, the prophets of those times who wanted to be heard. If you wanted an audience, you would go to Jerusalem. You would hobnob with the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the rulers and the scribes. Jerusalem was a place where you would go to. Instead of going to the seat of power, this man goes exactly in the opposite direction into the wilderness. He draws people to him instead of being drawn to people. That's a distinctive. Yeah, he was ordinary, but he's different. And may that be something that we do. We draw people. We don't go to the most popular places to be heard. But people come. You see that with Jesus. He'd get famous in one place. he in, say, no, no, I'm moving on to the next town. He'd be caught in on, on mountains in the uh, desert places people would throng around him because they came to him instead of he necessarily going uh, to the places where he would get a large audience. No. You see that with Paul. Spent the first 14 years of his ministry in absolute seclusion in the desert. Went to places that no one had laid a foundation in, places that were difficult. The only place that he went to where he thought he would get an audience was Mars Zill in Athens and that didn't work out too well they came and listened to him because that was a place where you went to speak they came and listened to him and when he got to salvation they said oh, now we got to go ordinary but different never seeking the popularity of people that's the kind of uh, th- th- that's a typical characteristic of an Elijah people they never want the fame or the popularity of people. Never want it. Couldn't care less about it. So opposite to what church has become now, eh? So opposite to what uh, television church shows have become. Where you cannot survive if you do not have people behind you, where when you do crusades you go to the largest cities of the world you go to the same cities that have been evangelized since Billy Graham started over and over and over and over again and I love what John says, he should increase and I should Decrease. No ambition, man. I used to think that is such a negative to have no ambition. It's one of your strongest points if you have no ambition. No ambition. You are led, you are not driven, and you have absolutely no ambition. Ambition always involves stepping on someone. Ambition always involves requiring some fame or gain. Drivenness always involves a pushing aside and a pushing forward L- being led is just following as he opens doors and you sit there and you have such a loose grip on things when your time there is over you let it go and you move on it's a very different way of living folks this next part um, n- uh, we've dealt with two things one we said Elijah was a flawed man, ordinary man. Then we talked about how he is ordinary and different. He doesn't want fame. He has no desire uh, in terms of ambition. The third thing we talk about, Elijah, which is important for us, is an Elijah people are generational. and Elijah people are generational. I'll explain that. Folks, why are we discussing this? Because we want to know what it is to walk in the strength and style of Elijah. Why do we need to walk in the strength and style of Elijah? Because God wants to raise an Elijah people here on earth. Why does God want to raise an Elijah people here on earth? Because when an Elijah people are raised, they're ready. Others, they prepare the way for him to either bring a move on earth or bring a season onto the earth. Or they prepare people for him to appear and do things in their lives. That is where we're going with this. And I already said to you that this is the season for us to learn this and to grow into people like this. Um, I heard from somewhere, and I hope it's not true, I heard this man saying, sometimes it takes five years before a truth becomes absolute reality for us in our lives. And I pray God that it's not that long. So I would say to you, if you're feeling tired and weary, get up. Because if this was a course that would earn your million dollars, you would sit up and listen. And what value can you place on this? I'm not talking about sitting up as in your posture. I'm saying, arise, O oh sleeper. Awake. Because, and I know Bernice has had a, a long trip and Maine has a long trip. Ah, see, please, I'm not trying to be imposing. What I'm saying is, we need to hear folks. Because if this was... Anything else that would win us, What? A, forget a million, if, this, if at the end of this evening we had a test and each one of us was going to be given $20,000, I assure you we would be awake and we'd be listening. Why am I saying this? Because I know how important this message is for this house. Please understand, I, I'm only doing this for our benefit. I'm not trying to push you into anything. If after all that you are exhausted, it would be natural for you to go to sleep. So feel free. but your spirits can be awake to listen. And Elijah people are generational. What I mean by that is that they always reproduce children who are taught correctly. And Elijah people always will teach children, uh, uh, always will reproduce children who are taught correctly. Elijah had Elisha folks. John had a bunch of disciples and John was amazing in that he didn't have any problems when his disciples left him and went to (laughs) Jesus. Did you know that some of John's disciples joined Jesus and he let them go? That's, uh, please understand that Elijah and Elijah people will always reproduce children and the children that are produced will be taught correctly. Elijah was taught well. You know, we talk about, when we last talked about fathers and sons, I was talking about the set man of the house. And I will now I'm talking about us as a people being fathers. It doesn't matter whether you are a woman or a man. You are called to be fathers and you are supposed to produce sons and it doesn't matter whether you're a woman and man again. The words I'm going to use are sons and fathers. Everybody here is supposed to produce children. If you are an Elijah people, you will produce children who are taught accurately. It may be your own home, it may be uh, children in school in Sue's case, it may be a Sunday school that you are in charge of, it may be one person, one person that you meet with and have suddenly felt in your heart that this is someone I need to deposit my life into or it may be a church over which I am a father right now. but what is required of an Elijah people is that they always produce children and leave a legacy on earth those operating in the spirit of Elijah will nurture men and women who will have a heart of a father so that sons are produced Uh, folks This is so vital for God. You know, when I think of... We'll get there a little later. Why is this important? Why is it important that we be fathers? Why is it important that everyone in this house be a father? Because if you are not a father, you will never be able to turn the hearts of the children towards you. If you're not a father you will never be able to turn the disobedient towards the wisdom of god if you don't believe me check first malachi 4 5 and 6 and then luke 116 and 17 malachi 4 5 and 6 that's the last part of the old testament last two verses of the old testament and see what happens if we don't turn the children towards the father last cha- last two verses of the old testament malachi chapter 4 verses 5 and 6 Hey, Ryan, can I grab some water, man? Thanks. Um, Verse 5. Malachi 4, verse 5. See, I will send you the prophet Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the father to the children and the hearts of the children... Oh, shucks. It was here? Very smart. Um, He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. Look at the next verse. Or else I'll come and strike the land with a... Curse. Now go to Luke one, sixteen and seventeen. Luke one, sixteen and seventeen. Luke one, sixteen. Many of the people of Israel will be, will he bring back to the Lord their God. He's talking about John the Baptist. Many of the people of Israel will he bring back to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and the power of Elijah. To turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. And the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous. Why? To make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Very clearly says that. One of the things folks. That we have to become is fathers because if we are not fathers, we will never be able to draw the t- heart of the children towards God. We will never be able to turn the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous. Because if you're a Sunday school teacher, if you're a pastor, if you're a parent, if you're a Bible college professor, nothing, nothing will ever be able to connect with the heart of the children unless you're a father. I mean, is it it shocking that the younger generation do not know their God? No, because they may have parents at home, but they have never had the luxury of spiritual fathers. I'm a product of the luxury of spiritual fathers in my life, folks. If you think I am anything today, it is because of the fathers I've had. Who labored and invested when I was obnoxious, when I was good, they kept investing. We have no idea of the extreme importance of this. The sad part is, if I'm not a father, I'll never be able to draw the children to him. I'll never be able to turn the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous. And you know what will happen? When God will come, when he'll come into a se- when he brings on a season when he brings a movement or when he actually makes an appearance you know what will happen they'll reject him and because they reject him they'll be smitten with a curse in this case the curse is a ban that's what the word means what do you think happened to israel they had scribes rulers pharisees sadducees rabbis teachers scholars what happened What happened between Malachi and Matthew chapter 1? Where were the scribes and the scholars and the teachers and the Sadducees and the Pharisees of Israel? Where was the Sanhedrin which was supposed to be the ultimate seat of uh, godly knowledge? They were all there folks. But they were exactly that. They were Pharisees, Sadducees, rulers, scribes, teachers, lawyers and rabbis. But they were never fathers what happened when their king came riding on a donkey they did not recognize him what happened because they did not recognize him the land has been smitten with a ban or a curse john was sent to prepare the way of the lord many turned but not all turned no we'll be talking about that We don't need pastors, Sunday school teachers, religious parents, college profs, and youth ministers, but we need fathers. We need fathers. If these things that I've just called out, they're not fathers, then they're really doing a disservice. Because the children will look at a Sunday school teacher as a teacher, will look at their pastor as a pastor, will look at a religious parent as a parent who practices religion, but when a child sees... When I talk about child, I'm not talking about children. I'm talking about anyone in a stage of growth in Christian life who is a novice. When they see a father, they suddenly see modeled the life that they can live, the godly life they can live, and they begin to connect. Suddenly the disobedient begin to see the wisdom of the righteous displayed, and they begin to respond. Their hearts are now readied for what the Lord wants to do in them. I'd like to say that having multiple primary sources uh, in your life, in your spiritual life, is a sign of immaturity, and is actually even a sign of itching ears. Let me say that again. If you have multiple primary sources in your life, if if there are four, uh, if there are two, three, four different streams that you're drinking out of, and all these are given primary importance, as in uh, this is as important as this as as important as that then i'd like to say to you it's a sign of spiritual immaturity and it's also perhaps uh, the beginning of a disease calling years 1st corinthians 4:15 says sorry go ahead james you know you talking about They're spiritual teachers, but I'm not talking about teachers. I'm talking about, no, there's a difference. Like um, um, uh, Paul puts it this way in First Corinthians 4.15. He says, you may have many tutors, but you only have few fathers, and I'm your father in the gospel, he says to his people. So you can have many teachers, but when when you have different people that you go to and look at them as your primary source, then there's a problem. Even when my dad was alive, there were uncles that I would go to because I wanted, um, I liked them, and I, I like spending time with them, but I never replaced my dad. So for instance, at present someone I see as a father in my life at this season of my life is Eddie. But you know what? When uh, I taught about Melchizedek, I actually, uh, remember I was talking about uh, giving to Melchizedek in that teaching? I gave to people other than Eddie, but not for a moment do I think they take the place of Eddie. No. At present, he is the one who I see as a fa- spiritual father in my life. So has place, so takes the other man's place, no, I'm saying that we need to... Uh, let me put it this way. if You can never be a father unless you have been a son. You need to connect... Pardon? You need one yeah, you need one primary source that you acknowledge. You can learn from others, from many others, because God puts different deposits in different people. But you can never be a father unless you have been a son. And that can be a at times your life. Yes, because uh, some there are some people who come into your lives and they, they may stay for the rest of your life. But there are others that God brings into your life as your primary source of drawing, of sucking everything from their life. That's that's appointed to you. And a time may come when that changes. No, it's not. I'm saying if, let's assume, you come to Acts 29 and you just said what you said. You also go somewhere else where you're a Let's say a member, and you acknowledge that person also as your spiritual father. Now you can't have t- two, three, four different spiritual fathers. But tutors, you can have plenty. The Bible talks about, it. I mean, Paul says it very clearly. You can have many tutors, but you can't have many fathers. And like I, one of the qualifications of being a father uh, for an Elijah type of person is you've got to be a son too. You can never be a father unless you have been a son. But I'm saying to you that everybody in this house should develop the heart of a father. Because it will be the most successful qualification you have in dealing with the world on the level that God wants to deal with. Because it will not be your messages, it won't be the principles that you speak It will be your life that you will pour into them. You think this man is giving him money and food and that's all? That's just something on the side, man. He pours into him his life. He will die for him. That's what we've been called to. Because of the lack of spiritual fathers, we are spawning generations that have an inaccurate concept of Christ. And they're being swallowed up by the devil because the church is mimicking Babylon. Generations after generations being churned out over the last hundred years who don't have spiritual fathers. As soon as they leave church at 18, they're swallowed up by the devil. You know me well enough to know that this is not about membership, not about control. This is just about the truth which spiritually benefits us. Because of the lack of real spiritual fathers, we are spawning generations that at 18 leave the church and are immediately swallowed up by the devil because the church is mimicking Babylon. Babylon doesn't have father-son relationships. Babylon has... uh, Boss uh, employee relationships. Babylon has hireling and uh, sheepdog and sheep relationships. Yeah. Yeah. So true. You know, there was a point. And I'm putting this on tape, and um, if Eddie hears it, he'll have a a couple of thoughts. Uh, There was a point uh, at which I, I realized that there are people who sometimes come up with greater wisdom in their teachings than Eddie. And there was this fraction of a second when I thought, hmm, maybe I should follow that man and that man, not this man. And suddenly I realized that what I was doing, I'm just telling you the horrible truth, what I was doing was I was being selective about who I want. That's the one who will. I mean, that's like selling your father. <laughs> um, I don't. My dad has only this much money. Aha, this dad has more money. Let's make him our dad. Uh, th- 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 that's a vulgar, vulgar thing that's happening in the world too, folks. Where we hop from place to place, skip from place to place. Why? Because we want to find what is the most palatable. You, you will get a whole lot in the bargain, but you will never get life. The, in, the, the investment of life you will not get. You will get all the things of life, but you'll never get the investment of life into you. And at the end of the day, what changes you and me is when someone's life is invested in you. That changes. You know, since my dad has died, there have been many people who uh, come and say, You can call me dad. And, uh, you know, I just can't get it. It comes to here and it stops. Listen, no, no, you can call me dad. They're as old as my dad. They're pretty nice to me, but it gets stuck here, man. Why? Because I, I can see uh, there's only one person that I'm that I call uh, papa, because I can see that he would probably really put his life in for me. But the others, no. I don't want to call anyone dad. Flippantly. So make sure you know what you're doing before you step into it, folks. I'd say make sure in, even in this church, do not connect yourself to this set man as the father of the house if you are not confident. Do not. Unfortunately, what that means is also perhaps that you'll never um, benefit fully from this house because you're not able to connect with the set man and the father of the house. That's there too. So start looking for some other place. I'm just being very simple and gentle and straight in telling you the truth. We talked about this a, l- a while ago. God establishes divine order through humans throughout history and into the future, too. We're not talking about a hierarchy. If you go back and examine Aaron's rod, the CD, we talk about that in detail folks this is not a popular message eh it really rubs you wrong if it if if need be because you're talking about flawed individuals man but any order in the church or in the economy of god is always through human take it wherever you go you, you can take the new testament or you can take the old testament yeah. Then you shift into the New Testament. It's the same. The book of Acts. Partly. Because it's easy to um, say I submit to a God I cannot see. But to make it tangible you, when you put flesh on people, man, it's so difficult. Yeah. Doesn't work. Yeah. There's nobody to check you. I mean, let's go back to that simple thing where I said I charge you. Uh, when I said that two weeks ago. I was wrong in that, but if I'm a authority unto myself, I would say I was right. I, I, I promise you, I will never, as far as I know, ever take away your freedom or control and at the moment you begin to smell that in this church, leave because control is witchcraft and it's not from God leave it's it's just not a part of this body (laughs) oh what I meant is uh, do not tolerate it I'm not saying leave as in get up and leave I'm saying don't tolerate it come and talk about it so that it can be sorted out yeah sorry Uh, then uh, you're in the wrong house and you should find someone who has... Because another another qualification of a father is that he has a heart of God. He, he He's cultivating the heart of God. Everyone sitting here. If you are to become fathers, you have to be a shepherd who has the heart of God. And I'm not talking about myself now. I'm talking about each of us becoming fathers so that children can be turned back to God, so that the disobedient can be turned back to the wisdom of the righteous. You've got to have the heart of God. And I am nowhere there. But boy, do I know that I want to be all that I'm called to be. Okay, some of the things about fathers. Uh, if you want to be a father... Be it a father of one or many, you have to be a son first. We talked about that. The second point also we said, a father is a shepherd after God's heart. A father is a shepherd after God's heart. A father is a shepherd after God's heart. So in in nurturing Ryan, he has to understand that before anything else, he's a shepherd after God's heart. In nurturing your students, be it Sue or Diana or whoever has a bunch of kids, you have to be a shepherd after father's heart. In nurturing a person that you meet one on one every week, remember that before anything else, you have to be a shepherd after the who who ha, who pursues God's heart because otherwise all the wisdom that spews forth from your pearly lips are worth nothing. Well, I was supposed to say all the pearls of wisdom that come from your mouth instead it ended up being all the wisdom that comes from your pearly mouth. Sorry, <laughs> got it wrong, <laughs> okay. Okay, moving on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you, you know, Sue, a, a guy never can never respond to the word "cute" properly. <laughs> yeah. No, 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 no. I'm just making a statement. If you said that to Sue, Chris or someone, should would go, "Oh," but a guy quickly turns away. Cute and a guy just don't go together. <laughs> right, guys. Yeah. Okay. Parents. Thanks, Daryl, for backing me up on that one. (laughs) Moving on. (laughs) A father, um, yeah, you start by reflecting the father's heart with your wife, with your children, with the small group you are in, with those that are under your charge, with your son, with your daughter. You start by reflecting the father's heart with your wife, children, church, group, church, charge, who's put in your charge, sons, daughters. You start there. A father produces sons who can transmit not just the message but the very God life that you are modeling. Folks, this was one of the biggest problems that I faced with one of the leaders in Bahrain. I found that the person was taking the messages that I was sending and he would uh, study it and then present it. But he was not living it nor was he drawing from my life after the 20 years I've spent with him to begin to live it and for it to come out of his belly. He was just letting it come out of here. And so he had to make a decision. And as when you like I I, I meet with a person every week, not from this church. I'm meeting him tomorrow at 4.45. And my desire for him because he's asked to uh, grow into this relationship is that he doesn't just receive the words I speak but begins to draw from the deposit of Christ in my life and I'm saying to you, you have a unique deposit of Christ in your life you may not have um, um, understood the um, full extent of it but you have it you have a glimpse of it here is a woman who will sow seed there is a woman who will be strong and go different places, there is a woman who will be a mother there is a man who will... Um, Jeff, what did I say about you today? One, that you will be settled. Two, that you will go on a cruise. But the, yeah, There is a man of whom the, um, every time he steps up, his eyes become, uh, come into greater clarity. He'll be able to see things clearly. See, what I meant is, these are just prophetic words that give you a glimpse of the deposit of Christ in you. So when you become a father... When you begin to operate in the spirit of Elijah and being a father, you know what happens to the person you're relating to? They begin to not just receive the words, they begin to receive this very deposit where she begins to produce more mothers. She begins to produce more sowers. She begins to produce people who are going abroad. She begins to produce evangelists. This begins to happen. He begins to produce people who will be prosperous throughout their lives. This is how it works, but I can only do it when I come into that relationship. Don't hurry into it; it has to develop, folks. It has to develop. But know that that is your—that is where you're heading. This doesn't mean that. Oh, hi, Ryan. My name is Jacob. Hey, I'd like to be your father. You got? You want? You have to be my son? No, 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 no. That's not how it works. That's horrible. You sit with the person and you develop a relationship, and then you. You know from God whether this is something that needs to be done. And at that some point you begin to act first. You don't say, I want to be this. No, no. You be this first. And then once you begin to be that, then he has a choice to respond to it. He can reject and walk away and that's perfectly okay. But you have now become what you need to be to him. At some point he recognizes it. Eddie did that with me. And I I didn't want that relationship. I think I told you that. I kept shrugging it away. I'd be comfortable with him saying, you're my brother, you are this and you are that, and I'd be comfortable with that. I didn't want to get into that thingy of um, the father thingy, and I just kept away. And for very long, and he would treat me like a son. He'd sometimes, by mistake, call me the names of his son. He'd say, hey, Paul. And then he'd remember, oh, hey, David. And then he'd remember, and he say, hey, Jacob. And I would keep him... I, I would hold him like this, but I would keep him at a distance. And I, I remember at one point, uh, when I, when these truths began to come alive, I decided that, okay, Jacob, what do you want to do? And at one point, uh, he never pushed it. At one point on the phone, he says, Jacob, you're my elder brother. Uh, no, <laughs> Jacob, you're my brother in Christ. And I responded and said, Eddie, you're like a father to me. And there was this pregnant moment of silence, because I think he also realized that suddenly I had finally released with my mouth what I needed to speak and I've been enriched by that relationship I'm not hung up on this thing because I'll teach this today and we'll move on but I hope you get hung up on it gosh I I just seem to want to keep throwing the disclaimer that this is really not about me this is about us, about you being fathers too it just so happens that because I'm the set man in this house that I have that role to play Good point. Good point. Very simple. If he comes and meets with me, when I ask us to be fathers, what I'm saying is that we develop the uh, nature of a father. So that is how I now approach this relationship. Therefore, regardless of where he is churching or what he is doing, my input into his life now begins to flow like a river because, thanks, man, because I have taken on that role. This is not about imposition. It can be with your children. Your children in your class will learn more of who your God is and will begin to see your God more clearly when you begin to be a father to them. Which does not mean that they now have to respond and call you anything. It means I have taken on this persona of or this heart that will now act towards them that way and what will happen instantly is that the moment you do that and the moment you say father this is what I want to be what happens is the children begin to turn to you and the disobedient begin to turn to the wisdom of the righteous this is not about I want to be uh, um, not, lording it over. not lording it over no so of yes I mean, I'm going to South Africa in July uh, for a conference there, and Eddie and Yvonne won't be there. But uh, one of the things they want me to do is come and spend two or three days with them at their house. And I'm looking forward to it because I know that I will draw from their lives. When Alex came here, I was excited about Alex coming here because I wanted him to spend five days with me and draw out of my life. Unfortunately, he was coming here to... um, um, absorb the beauty of the land which nothing wrong with that but the other part wasn't as important we've talked about this so it's okay (coughs) a father should have enough faith tenacity and wisdom to motivate sons to position themselves to receive a double portion strange it is whenever I have read about the double portion I've always thought oh it was Elisha Elisha was a great guy. He got a double portion. He's the one that we need to focus on. Folks, he only had to receive it. You know who had to give it? Elijah. And you know what Elijah had to give Elisha? Elijah had to give Elisha two times what he was. That requires tenacity, that requires wisdom, and that requires faith to bring your son into a position where now he is able to somehow Stand and I can give him twice as much as who I was. How can this man accomplish it? How is Marcus going to give Ryan twice as much as who he is as a person? How? If he has a hundred liters and that's his capacity, how is this man going to give him two hundred? You see, it's the fate of this man that's going to accomplish it. That's another thing we need to develop as fathers. The ability that if we are with a group of children, with a, we are with a one-on-one relationship or with a house, that at the end of the day, I have the wisdom and the faith to give twice of what I have to the sons. I don't even know the beginning and the end of it, but I know it's real. A father does not look for conformity. He only looks for continuance. A father does not look for conformity. He looks for continuance. He does not want sons to look like him. He just wants sons to continue um, and increase in the purity of their doctrine, in the purity of their faith, in the purity of revelation, in the purity of uh, walking life amazingly. That's what fathers want. They don't want conformity. You don't want to look like your father. You want to be... Continuing into something that is greater in purity. The other beautiful thing is, folks, you know your great my <laughs> your greatest assets are your sons. Your greatest assets are your sons. If someone asks me what's your greatest asset, my reply should be, my sons. My greatest asset when I left Bahrain was those three people who came and said what they said. Those are my greatest assets. Because if I die today, I know that they have what it takes and they have received a deposit from my life. My greatest assets are my son. Paul says in First, first Corinthians 9, 2, you are the seal of my apostleship, he tells the people who are following him. What's the point of me being an apostle? Paul says, if I have... Nothing to show for it. You are the seal of my apostleship. First Corinthians nine two. Your greatest assets are your sons. When you leave the earth, if you have not left a legacy in terms of spiritual sons, your own biologi- biological son can be a spiritual son too. But if you leave the earth and you have not left a legacy of spiritual sons, you have not done what you were called to folks. Recognize that, eh? And do not take the responsibility of being a father lightly in this house, folks. Because please understand, just as you as a father can be a covering and blessing to somebody, in the same way you can impute your sins on your children if you are a degenerate father. One of the things I am so frightened of is walking in sin knowing how it will affect you. It, it, it just bothers me so much, man. Because if you are choosing to see me as a set man, if, you, if some of you choose to see me as a father in this house, if you have come under the covering of Acts 29, I am the set man of Acts 29, I guarantee you, my walk will affect your life. You want to see Achan? It says Achan's whole family was stoned to death. Numbers 30, again it says this, in Numbers 30 it's talking about a woman and it says, if a woman takes an oath and she speaks it out loudly and the father in the house does not void it, then that oath stands. What it was trying to say was the just as a covering can be a blessing trust me it can also be a scary thing so regardless of whether I'm at home or whether I'm in a hotel in Jakarta I have to make sure that if not obviously for my own sake and for the sake of the father's love for me but if not that for the sake of the house I belong to that my walk be pure it's not a burden but it's a responsibility and I want to say to you fathers here, huh, please, and I, if I'm coming across um, harsh, please forgive me. Please don't take your role as a father irresponsibly. Because like it or not, regardless of how much your wife may do, may be, how much she prays, how much she may be taking care of your house, of your child, if you are an irresponsible father spiritually, then know this. That your family will be harmed. It's just just the way it is folks. It's the way it works. I agree that every little fault is not going to count, but if your uh, pastor begins to practice pornography, yeah, and you won't know it, folks. You won't know it. Pornography is a secret sin. Let's assume I I begin to practice it. Let's assume this is what I do when I live in hotels in other places. You're not there. I promise you that if that becomes a practice in my life, God will expose it so that you will be uh, aware of it. God will help you to restore me. And may I be humble, I mean, I don't even want to go there. But the point is that it, the effect will be there. And is there precedent in the New Testament? Yes. Why does Paul say that take out the yeast of immorality from your midst? Why? Because if I allow yeast to fester in the community of believers, it will spread. Which is why he said... How can you be so happy about your meetings when you're letting a man who lives with his stepmom into your church as if nothing is the matter? You can't. Remember, this is a community created by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. And there are certain standards required in this community. We live by kingdom code. And kingdom code, one of the pillars it's built on is holiness. There was a person who used to, um, who I know, who um, um, is living in an adulterous relationship. And uh, when the person asked to come and speak here, uh, we had to say no to him. Because if he now, living in an adulterous relationship with a powerful ministry, comes and ministers here and lays hands on you, he passes on to you the same deception that he is living in. So we had to say, no, you can't come and preach here. It's not paranoia. It's a principle, and the principle is very simple. My people perish for the lack of knowledge. So as long as we operate by the proceeding word of God, God will keep us safe. If we choose not to, if we choose to ignore the proceeding word of God or seek God, then the, then it is not effective. For instance, Joshua had this bunch of guys called the Gibeonites. Come to him. They came with moldy bread. They dressed themselves in rags and they came and said we come from a far off land. We want to make a treaty with you. And for that one instance Joshua didn't ask God. They ended up making a treaty and forever then the Gibeonites became a thorn in their side. So it's not being paranoid. It's being, it's walking in wisdom wisdom and hearing. So, I mean, we don't have to live in fear of, oh, this person's going to do this to me. No, no, no. But I'm saying to you that a constant life practiced a certain way will affect the church. And if, for instance, we find a couple here that are living in um, common law, then at some point, not at some point, if I know it, I'll have to approach the person and say, sorry, um, as, as a people who are a community of the Holy Spirit, we will not be able to uh, affirm you in this relationship so, as a church, either you need to get married or you have to live separately. But this common law, you cannot continue, and continue to come into the church. If you do, then we will uh, uh, have to exert church discipline. If they chose not to sign the covenant uh, that we have in this church, then we can't even discipline them. They can keep coming, but I, I feel bad for anyone who box God in this house. Not box us but box God continuously in this house because we're trying to build this house accurately and God will deal with it also, says, um, reject that. them so that's how it works folks our God is a consuming fire Yeah, yeah. This was between him and me. He was writing to me. Just be quiet and let me continue. (laughs) I like this next point. (laughs) I like this next point. The point. uh, I so love this. A father opens areas for the sons to walk without limitations. A father opens areas for the sons to walk without limitations that the father labored in most of his life. Ah, that is so beautiful. A father opens up areas without limitations for his sons to walk in where the father labored most of his life. Just imagine that. We are laboring with Christ's life. We are laboring with Zion. We are laboring, laboring with the principles of glory. Why? So that we can teach this and others can walk in it right from when they are young a father opens up areas without limitations for his sons in the same areas that he labored most of his life. That's just so awesome. I received this beautiful email this morning. And it kind of illustrates that point. It starts saying, Hi Jacob, just wanted to let you know that I'm really excited about the things we are going to learn over the next few weeks. I can't believe that God has made a way for these things to be taught to us this way. And most of us are so young, so privileged to receive this now. I don't know how others view this, but I'm very thankful that I'm getting a chance to learn this now, not when I'm 50. And it dawns on me that this is how God really meant us to live. And I read this and I thought, so true, man. We may have labored at 45 and 50 and 65 and 85 here in this church to bring these truths. But here is someone who is less than 30 who is writing and saying, Man, I'm so privileged to learn this early. What about him? Yeah, I mean, here's another Namuna. Sorry, another sample. <laughs> what about, about math? They learn it at an early age, man. Yeah. Yeah. This morning I was going through the notes. I came to the principles of glory in the body. How God's glory in us should be evidence to the beholder. And then that becomes the greatest tool of evangelism. That's amazing. It's so true. No intellectual intellectual or atheist or any other argument stands a chance against the glory of God. And this whole thing about how it is to be a body as a bride that we displayed is actually a transforming revelation that God desires to see Uh, his character and glory and all that he's revealed in the church as a whole. I'm really excited. I think some of these pictures are getting clearer. It sounded so hazy to me when you first started talking about it. I'm really interested in this displaying glory thing. It sounds so revolutionary to live life that way. I'm amazed at the things locked in the depths of God's word that are true treasures in every sense of the word. Thanks so much for your time and opening your life to us, Jacob. Really cannot put a value to these things. God bless you. I'm reading this and thinking, man, it's so worth it, man. So worth it that these people who are less than 25 are learning it and are excited about it. You've got to start traveling, folks. Just ask the Lord, Father, when when the time is right, uh, please, I want to go on one of these trips. And if the Lord says yes, uh, then don't worry about the money. Meaning, when I say don't worry about the money, it doesn't mean it will fall through your roof. What I mean is just don't worry about the money. (laughs) Do you want to stop now, or can I do one more point? Tell the truth. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Folks, open up areas, okay, for your sons to walk in. Open up areas for them to walk without limitations. Work hard on what you're learning, and then when you minister, when you're sitting in this relationship where you're being a father, regardless of whether the person sees you as one, accepts you as one, open up a relation. Open up things that you have worked so hard, so labored, so that the other person can walk it in freely. Just do that. These truths we are learning, go home, marinate in them, make them part of your life and then open up your life regardless of whether the person accepts you as a father or not so that that person can walk in it without limitations. You struggle with it throughout your life, he is a beneficiary. Do this. You suddenly transmit into a person your very life and you're living it accurately and they get a deposit of it. It is so magnificent when that happens. Imagine if you raise a generation like that. You know, today Chris and I were talking about this just off the cuff, that wouldn't it be wonderful if we were able at some point to establish a school that acts 29 runs of kids between the grades of 1 to, say, 3 to begin with, where by the time they get to grade 3, they have such an understanding of God that no one can take it away from them. Go back into the secular system. Go back as Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Can you imagine what that'll do? You never know. Then perhaps we can employ Diana and Sue. Moving on, or oh, just a thought huh? It's not a prophetic word. <laughs> At least not yet. The last thing, uh, the last point I want to make is, folks operating in the spirit of Elijah. Uh, trusts us into acceleration. Operating in the spirit of Elijah allows us to enter into acceleration. And I'll explain what I mean by that. It's a magnificent thing. So here's what we've done this far. we've uh, To operate in the spirit of Elijah, we found out that we need to be ordinary, which we really are. And in case you thought you were otherwise, you're wrong. Two, <laughs> you um, have flaws. You are not after fame. You're not after reputation or ambition. You are... Um, ordinary but different three we talked about how uh, elijah people are people who have a generational approach to things they are fathers and four we are talking about people who have the elijah spirit have the ability to enter into acceleration enter into acceleration a strange thing happens at mount carmel in chapter 18 verse 45 of first kings the cloud has come, the fifth-size cloud has come, the clouds gather, the rain begins to pour, and Elijah says to Ahab, get into your chariot and drive. And then Elijah girds up his loins, and he runs faster than the chariots. You know, a peop- uh, <laughs> a people who ha- walk in the spirit of Elijah have the ability to enter into acceleration in their lives. And what I mean by that is, Folks, John achieved in his lifetime what 400 years between Malachi and Matthew could not achieve. Jesus achieved in three and a half years what 4,000 years of humanity could not achieve. Paul achieved in his life as a man born out of time much more than any of the other apostles achieved. Paul actually puts it in words. He says in First Corinthians 15, and the audacity of the guy, he says, I'm a man born out of time, but I have done much more than all the others put together. He actually says that in First Corinthians 15. But you see, there are people who have the ability within a limited amount of time to achieve much more than normal folk can. And please don't look at your age. You may be 45, 55, 65, 75. But please understand that because you're seated in the heavenly places, it's a place where chronology does not matter. But that's an encouragement for yeah, it's an encouragement. True, but there are people who think, I'm 65, 75, 85, uh, I've got a few years left, how much can I accomplish? No, 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 no. Because... Because of this thing called acceleration, it applies to everybody. Don't look at your age. You can accomplish in a limited amount of time much more than most normal folks. To come into this grace of acceleration, this is one or two simple things that I have to do. Given that I'm going to operate in the spirit of Elijah, I'm saying to you that there is an acceleration in my life that I can enter into. What do I mean by that? Part of what I mean by that is all the years the locusts have eaten can come back to me instantly. Two, I can run faster than most people would take time in a chariot. Three, I can finish within the limited time all that I'm supposed to in terms of destiny and perhaps do more because I have more time. But all this is accomplished by doing one or two simple things. One, I have to run to the entrance of Jezreel. If you read First Kings eighteen forty-five, it says there that Elijah girded his loins, meaning he got ready, and then he ran ahead of the chariot to the entrance of Jezreel. What that signifies for us, the word Jezreel means something that is planted or sowed by Almighty God. Jezreel stands for anything that is planted or sowed by almighty god one of the things required to move into this acceleration is that i understand that the only things i will set my hand to from today on are the things that are sowed or planted by god and i will not touch anything else i was listening to uh, a you i was watching youtube and it showed it talked about this pastor who took his son to the oregon coast i think and uh, Um, They were collecting shells. The whole family was walking on the beach collecting shells. And the boys had their hands full of shells. And they were having a really good time. And uh, these were broken shells. Broken starfish pieces. And they were just admiring it. And the parents were just enjoying how the kids were having fun. And suddenly over the waves, they saw a full starfish. And uh, the pastor tells his son, Look, son, there's a starfish. Go get it. Go get it. And so the son goes into the water and... Then he stops and he comes back. Uh, And the pastor says, come on, go get it. And he says, I can't. He says, no, go get it. So he runs into the water again. And he goes further. And he's near the starfish. And then he runs back to his parents. Uh, And he says, I can't, I can't. His dad says, it's so close. It's coming closer. Go get it. And then he runs. And now he's right over the starfish. And then he turns back and runs back to his father. And he says, I can't. And the father asks, why? Why can't you get it? He says, because my hands are full of shells. And uh, it, it, it's, it's only a story. It actually happened, but it in my heart. And Elijah people are a people who have decided once and for all. And I speak this for myself. I will not touch. And I'm declaring this. People were declaring two things today. I'm declaring it to you for my own sake. I will not touch anything that is not sowed by God in my life. Because I have, my days are numbered and I want to make every day count. I will not touch anything that is not sowed by the Almighty. I will not touch anything except that which is found at the entrance of Jezreel. My hands have to be empty to grab whatever God gives. Acceleration happens when two things happen one, when you decide that you will only, that you will drop all the other shells in your hand. And two, when you decide that you will only pick up that which God is sowing. Because God can cause a plant to crop up in the desert in a second, like he did for Jonah, and he can take it away too. The second one is that I will only, um, one is I will only uh, take that which is at Jezreel, meaning that which God has planted. Two, I will release the shells that are in my hand, because the starfish is a much greater price. That's when you enter into amazing acceleration. Paul said, "I am I, I am I am marked for one prize, and I will run after it because that is my calling. And everything else aside, I'm going to put aside. I'm going to run just for that. Folks, you are people of destiny. But it, I know that sounds like such a cliche. But I'm saying to you that <laughs> enter into acceleration. You, you'll finish so much more. Cast aside everything else. Cast aside the two jobs you have." Cast aside the other interests. Just decide that this is what I want. This is what I'm going after. That's how athletes practice. You'll see it in 2010. Everything else cast aside. I declare that and I refuse, oh God I refuse, to pick up anything that is not sown at the gates of Jezreel. Because not an iota of what you're supposed to do here on earth should be incomplete, folks. Sure, man. Sounds good. Let me finish. You know, when you do that, the hand of God, the Bible says the hand of God was in Elijah. And the sense of the Hebrew word hand of God is the power and the means and the direction of God was on Elijah and God gave him wings on his heels and that's what happens when, when you do these two things God's hand is upon you meaning God's power, means and direction is on Jacob and suddenly Jacob has wings that's what happens folks these messages are not an end in themselves don't make, maybe never make these messages a golden calf they're not an end in themselves but they're meant to plow, to pave, to forge a mindset, and it should show in your behavior, life, conduct, and culture. If you say you're apostolic, if you say you're sent, show me your lifestyle. What do you watch? What do you say? What do you do? What do you look at? How do you act out? What do you think? What do you defend? What do you justify? What do you stand up for? And I will tell you if you're accurately representing Christ, and you can say the same thing to me. And... um, I'm going to say something that will shock you now. Uh, <laughs> uh, we'll do it next week. Oh, okay. Folks, if you intentionally connect with, continue in, and practice the doctrines and the grace of Christ upon this house, <laughs> I'm saying this uh, without. I may not say thus said the Lord, but I actually mean it, uh, as in thus said the Lord. If you intentionally connect with, continue in, and practice the doctrines and the grace of Christ upon this house, you will have everything you need to fulfill your destiny, and you will see everything God says in His Word come to pass before your eyes before you leave the earth. Amen. I promise you that. Amen. It's not an empty boast. I'm saying it to you, in a thus said the Lord capacity. I'm saying to you that if you connect with. Intentionally, if you practice and if you continue in the doctrines and the grace that Christ has deposited in this house two things will happen one, you will have everything you need regardless of your present situation to fulfill your destiny if necessary it will be accelerated two, you will see the word of God come to pass before your eyes you will see the things that people long for happen here that's just something on the side and I'm saying that to you in this house, it will happen. I promise you that. Not because of anything that you are or I am, but simply because of the grace and the love that God has for this home. I know we are boasting about this home, but I boast us in the Lord, folks. You will see it happen. Yeah. You will see it happen. You will see the word of God come and happen before your eyes. The word will become actual manifestation before your eyes. I promise you that. If we keep on with what we are doing right now, and if you keep on with the doctrines and the grace in this house. Now here's the other part of it, and I'm going to use, I'm going to put myself in so it doesn't sound like I'm pointing my finger at you. If I am selective, and I pray God that you hear this, if I am selective or complacent in my practice of truths, and only want to wet my feet in the flow and deposit of grace upon this house, I should make plans to leave, because if after what I receive here I won't respond, God will take, out, take me out of the earth early. Let me say that again. If I am selective or complacent in my practice of truths and only want to wet my feet in the flow and deposit a grace upon this house, I should make plans to leave, meaning I should make plans to leave this house, because if after what I receive here, I won't respond, God will take me out of the earth early. Like I said... Um, I'm being very, I don't want to call it a prophetic word, but I'm saying I'm speaking what I believe the Lord is saying. I'd just be aware of that, folks. Uh, but I put it, but I said it for myself because I need to take note of that. Um, which would be wrong anyways. In the, the sense? Part. Yeah, which would be wrong anyways, but I'd just be aware of it. Any clarifications on what I've said? Do you want to hear it again, or I, have you heard it? No, no. I'm going to say something. If you intentionally connect with, continue in, and practice the doctrines and the grace of Christ upon this house, you will have everything you need to fulfill what is appointed to your destiny. Everything will be provided through the deposit of Christ in this house, and you'll see you fulfill your destiny and you will see everything god says in the word come to pass before your eyes meaning some of the things that we've seen in the old testament the new testament will come to pass before your eyes but if i am selective or complacent in my practice of truths and only want to wet my feet in the flow and deposit of grace upon this house i should make plans to leave this house because if after what i receive here i won't respond god will take me out of the earth early know tonight is this kind of a point and here is a line that stretches on beyond 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 (laughs) (laughs) okay so you're at this point today Um, and the amazing thing is how we decide things at this point will begin to affect the rest of our lives Um, I'm not trying to be dramatic nor am I trying to Um, scare or do anything because neither scaring nor being dramatic is a Jesus character but uh, that's how it is yeah I'm just telling you the truth so any questions comments I'm done any questions comments Where does hockey fit in the picture? (laughs) Yeah. If hockey ever becomes a distraction where it robs me of anything of God, then um, it'll be terrible. And I'm absolutely confident right now that hockey is not a blind spot in my life, surprisingly. Many times when I talk about hockey here, it's because it's become a trademark from the past in my life, and I exaggerate. But hockey is not a blind spot in my life. I, you have no idea. Yeah, yeah, it's very simple. I use this example always. When I was a believer, when I was a new believer, um, the Globetrotters came to town. The Harlem Globetrotters, a basketball team. And I had a choice. Either go to church. I I was a fan of basketball then. I didn't know hockey then. Uh, I had a choice. Either go watch the Globetrotters or go to church. And the choice was very simple. I went to watch the Globe Trotters because I wasn't particularly interested in church. Six months later, the Globe Trotters came again. It was a Sunday, and uh, I had the choice: go to church or go to the Globe Trotters. I went to church. Why? Simply because God had become more interesting. There is absolutely—I n- mean, uh, I know she asked the question flippantly, but I'm giving you a very categorical answer. No flip. <coughs> um, yeah. I, I, I'm sorry. Let me correct myself. Um, Dinah was asking the yeah. yeah just asking the question i'm responding to it seriously because you should uh, i need to clear this that um, <laughs> there's no comparison between who i know god is and who i know he, what i know about myself and god that hockey would ever be but Can I change the question? yeah Uh, sorry, go ahead, Joe. Yeah, yeah, one, when it becomes when I have a tight grip on something, uh, one of the signs of something that I th- that is becoming a hindrance in my life is when th- there's a tight grip on something. Yeah, but one of the ways to m- know it is when I have a tight grip on something. Be it travel, be it hockey, be it coffee, be it anything. I mean, we're getting too frivolous now. But things that bother my life will be things where I have a very tight grip. It, Acts 29 could become a hindrance. If I have a tight grip on Acts 29, which is, uh, which is a ministry thing, then it becomes a hindrance. So that's one way to find out. Two, uh, may people point out, at the risk of losing your friendship, may people point it out. May the, at the risk of offending you, may people point it out, where, there are, where your hands are full of shells. Three, uh, the, the Lord showed me a dream uh, for four years ago on January 1st. I got up and I'm uh, with these three girls from my past. No, one of the girls is from my uh, from my non-Christian past, one of the girls is from my Christian past, and one of the persons was from my present, someone I know, another female. And in the dream, I'm talking to all three of them. I go talk to one person, and I'm very nice to her. And then I quickly go to the other person, and I'm very nice to her. And the third person, and uh, it is like playing three fields at the same time. And I wake up, and one of the things the Lord said is, Jacob, make sure this year, this was in 2004 or 2005, make sure this year that you don't keep all your options open. You either choose what I tell you to, but don't you maintain three balls in the air at once and keep all your options open so that the one that is most compatible, comfortable, um, popular and that suits you best is the one you take. And the dream has stayed with me because one of the things we do is we keep two or three options open so that we can get the best out of all three. That, that's not how it works with God. No, that's not how it works. You've got to know what God wants and then run with it, folks. That's having your hands full. Do I want a starfish? Do I want an octopus? Or do I want a mackerel? And keep all three. While a treasure chest of gold just floated past me. Uh, feel free to get up whenever you want to. And if you have questions, keep asking. Go ahead, Matt. Oh, okay. Um... Father, do you want to broach us on this right now? Father, could you please remind us to pray for this next Sunday so that what we've learned, we can marinate over and come with our hearts ready so that we can pray for it next Sunday. And I pray that you'll help Matt to remind me, Father. Amen. Bible study will be here Tuesday, Revelation chapter 2. Very interesting. You're welcome to join us. Anne's house is beautiful.